0: And welcome to Why Not Me, turning trials into triumphs, seeking and embracing success. I'm your host, Coach Todd Halls. So grateful that you're joining us today, and super grateful and excited to introduce our guest to you today. John William Barnard is with us, and John is a Christ follower, a husband, a missionary and a dog owner and we recently met at a rotary meeting just a few weeks ago and i've had a chance to get to know him a little bit uh enough to know that i, I think he's just going to bring some uh some amazing value and insight today so looking forward to him sharing with with all of us so with that john if you would just give us a little background uh for our listeners to get a sense of, of a little bit more about you absolutely
1: and thank you for having me uh this was um an unexpected uh uh, this was a bit of a surprise and i'm I'm happy it happened i' uh, never been on a podcast before uh Thank you for mentioning that i'm also a dog owner uh My wife Kimmy, and i are we're we're big dog people uh if that that helps give someone a lot of insight into who we are we're we're dog parents but I have been a christian since two thousand six uh you and I talked about that uh briefly uh before the podcast and I I would say that before becoming a Christian, I thought I was. I was just a church goer, and around 2006 realized that that doesn't um, that doesn't make sense. I think C.S. Lewis years ago writing about it said that uh, sitting in a garage doesn't make you a car, and sitting in a church doesn't make you a Christian. Uh, which uh, which was a realization I got. Uh, I came to that. You know he, here I am going to church, but I, I have to do something about it. I um, uh, God is not the ceremony that I'm taking a part of. He, he's an uh, an individual. He's a person. I have to interact with him in some way.
0: Yeah. So was that realization, well, A, thanks for sharing that quote, C.S. Lewis quote. I had not heard that one before, but I am certainly going to be repeating it. Um, but As you came to this realization, was there an aha, like, boom, lights went off, like, oh, my goodness, realization? Or was it more of a slow, like, just this sense that maybe there's more? And as you started peeling back the layers, you got to that point.
1: Uh, I would say it was a fast peel. How's that? So it didn't take years for me to realize it, but there was no blinding light either. It was over the span of... A school year so a handful okay. of months that I that I came to the realization of who who I thought I was as the the typical I'm good enough on my own we, we all get into heaven God saves good people without having any criteria for what good people means to that uh, there is a standard for good and it just so happens to be that individual um, in God himself. And you know what do I do about that? what, what do I do about this uh, um, this dichotomy this gap is what I was looking for instead of just leaving that where it was and not doing anything
0: yeah and so knowing what kind of knowing where you're at now and what you're doing um, it's it's safe to say that God, you know, kind of reached out and said, hey, John, I've got plans for you. And maybe he didn't, he didn't probably tell you that at that moment. But, uh, you know, had to take you through that process to, to get you on the path that you've been on since. Um, when did you realize that you were going to be uh, in the mission field doing missionary work? So 2006, you you realized you came to a saving faith, I'll call it. you started having a relationship with. Uh, with God um when did when did the mission bug bite? I went on my first mission trip
1: in the summer of two thousand and eight. I went to a town called Sherbrooke, Quebec, which is forty five minutes north of the Vermont border and I wasn't thinking about being a missionary at the time. I was in the mindset of I'm called to uh, to be a pastor uh, in some capacity in a local church, because as far as I could tell, that's what being called to ministry was—it was pastoral work—and I figured, well, that was my one mission trip that my college minister said we should all go on. You know, I'm done, and then. When I got back home, it seemed like everyone knew that I was supposed to be a missionary before I did, because I kept having to correct them and say, no, actually, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to be a missionary. And then I remember this one gentleman who is a janitor at the church that I went to at the time, he, unlike everyone else, he just kept saying, well, you are called to be a missionary. He, he wasn't interested in, in me saying, no, I'm not. He just knew I was wrong. Uh, And I just so happened to be wrong. Uh, The next year, I went back up to Quebec, did another summer mission project. I changed my bachelor's over to missiology, enrolled at the Baptist College of Florida, and began moving in that direction, which, a bit like me becoming a Christian, me believing in Jesus, wasn't... um, boom, it just happened instantly situation. It was that realization over a handful of months, maybe a year that, okay, I'm I'm going to be a missionary. Fine, I give up. Uh, I, I wasn't excited about this at first, uh, but I, I guess I'll do it. All the way to, uh, I'm very excited about this, uh, if you sit next to me long enough, I i have bad news. I'm just going to start talking to you about
0: this. <laughs> uh, isn't it? So, so I've got this. Um, I got this vision of, of like a little kid kind of shuffling his feet. Like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And then. And eventually the, the door opens and there's like balloons and streamers and then suddenly they're excited to, fight to, to be at the party. And I don't know if that's accurate or not, but kind of like, all right, I'll go if you're going to make me. And then suddenly, hey, this is all right. Anything like that?
1: I have told people that I became a missionary kicking and screaming. Maybe shuffling my feet and pouting is a better way to put it. Um, I, I don't know about there being parties and streamers in the room, but maybe a balloon or two and me just being happy to to be in. It I, It may sound silly, but I would kind of think about it as when you go to get a shower before that, you're like, I don't really want to get in the shower. Uh, i just rather do whatever else. And then when you get in the shower, you're like, I'm not leaving the shower. This is great. It's warm in here. I've, I've got some alone time. So. It, yeah. Kind of the, the, that same idea, however you want to describe it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I love the shower analogy. Um, so when you first mentioned going on a mission to Quebec, I'm like, well, yeah, I, at least for me growing up in, uh, you know, I, in central Minnesota, um, I really think about a lot of missionaries going to Canada. Um, and, and of course i Obviously, I know better now. I know, I know you. Um, but tell me what what exactly that that journey has been for you from the time so you, so you went to the uh, Baptist College, uh, going into mission work, and and then kind of take us from there up to where you're at now. What that journey's looked like?
1: Yeah, similar to me after I became a Christian, and then after I felt that. Initial, what we say all the time, call into ministry, or you know, coming to the realization I think God wants me to be a career minister, career clergy, whatever term you use, then moving on to okay, I'm I'm supposed to be a missionary and then making the, the transition. A pretty short one too. It needs to be Quebec, which is a bit of a surprise. No one thinks Canada when they think missions, and they especially don't think about Quebec. And you're going to hear me make that distinction a lot because Quebec and Canada are two very different animals from each other. Which has sure. which has a lot to do with the the different cultural and language divides that you and I will get into later. Um, I, Yeah, so I changed that over, and just from even before I had really got into the meat of my, my undergrad work, uh, I already was like, well, I, I am going to Quebec, and it, it made it easier doing my bachelor's because I was able to come in and talk to our department and chair and say, I, I don't feel like I'm supposed to just be a missionary, I feel like, I feel like I'm supposed to be a missionary. Here in this place, so a lot of time and energy saved. But even at that point, I thought, you know, all all missionaries, all ministers, are the same in that you you go to this mission field. Uh, I originally, like most people, I thought, okay, it's it's a developing world, a third world kind of country. That's where missionaries go. We do charity work. We we dig wells for people. We build huts for them to, okay, well, mission fields can even be places where people are better off than you, where they, they have nicer jobs and nicer cars than you, which, which is intimidating. And then as the years went by realizing, okay, here I am on the mission field. And initially when I showed up on my mission trips, I I didn't take learning the local language that seriously. You know, it, it's practical for me because I plan on being a mission here, a missionary here, long term. But for other people, probably not so much. And then, time goes on. I start realizing that it's a communication issue. It's a practicality issue. But it's also a lot more than that. It's me as an English speaker, as an anglophone showing up and people expecting me to impose my language on them. And at the same time, he's a missionary, so he's going to impose Jesus on me. Worse than that, he's going to impose English Jesus on me. And that realizing, seeing that, I should say, happen more and more, both on an individual level and helping out short-term mission trips, like as an interpreter, uh, as a, as a chaperone for these trips and seeing the, these short-term missionaries in high school or university who have, you know, all the best will in the world, but all they can do is help people move houses and they, they might as well be mute. And it, it really damages the long-term Effects they can have, uh, it. The, they're kind of stuck being physical labor.
0: Yeah. So what what came to mind as you were describing that, and you mentioned they might as well be mute, and the the visuals that came to mind as you were talking about the experiences, that actually I think they'd be better, maybe better off if they were mute. They'd have a better connection because, as you talked about, oh, this this missionary is gonna, you know force English on me for, and I'm using the word force, but they're going to impart their English on me. Like, Oh, barrier number one just came up. And then, and they're going to, he's a missionary. So they're going to throw Jesus at me and barrier number two may come up. And then they combine the two and like, Oh, and, and because he's English and forcing English and Jesus, it's going to be English Jesus. And suddenly it's like, they, I'd imagine there's cases where they've got so many barriers up to, To any kind of an inroad to their to their heart or their mind, that'd be it'd be hard just to connect.
1: Absolutely, as a rule, that's what happens. If we can think of what is it the the classic probability graph that has the two tails on the far left and far right that are close to zero, and you have that big hump in the middle. You what that big hump in the middle is is mission trips that because of those barriers because they're North Americans, or they're from the global north. Uh, I don't know if people are familiar with that. It is Europe, um, most of North America, countries in the north of the world in general are richer, more influential, and well-off. So here are these missionaries coming Mm -hmm. from the global north to my country or from a richer country to me. And now I, I have even more barriers up. In addition to the religious and linguistic one, Um, and unfortunately, I just forgot the other part of your question.
0: (laughs) Uh, I was just talking about essentially how different once once those barriers come up, how difficult that connection, like even to get your your first um, inroad, and as you're, and, and how how unfortunate, almost sad it is because I mean people go on missions because they've got. A heart for the work for the people because they're, they're there, I think, because they truly love and care about people. And, you know, probably I'd imagine don't even realize that they're starting out from such a deficit because of the way they are taught to approach it. And I don't now Does that make sense?
1: Yes. Okay. Perfect. You put me back on track. Uh, and that, that was where I was going with this huge probability of here's the vast majority of what happens in mission trips is we show up with the barriers that we have unintentionally created or brought with us. And that means almost all or the vast majority of mission trips try and often fail, especially long-term, to break through those barriers. And then you'll get anecdotal stories of someone who says, you know, I, I only spoke English to this person or was through the interpreter and and that made a huge change. This this person became a Christian. And in our minds, we say, okay, well, that means it's okay to do it this way. That means that these barriers Mm -hmm. that we thought existed don't exist and we can just keep doing it the same way, but it's still very much there. And it's still a huge problem that I would argue is getting worse, but we don't see it, we don't recognize it, so things never get better
0: and so you as you came to that realization, so now it would seem like a good time to have you just um, kind of lay out what what are you doing to help correct that or 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 to to make that situation better so that um so the front line and maybe that's not the right word um I was about to say, so frontline missionaries can can be more effective. I don't know if that's the right way to put it or not. But tell, if you would, like, you came to that realization. So what are you doing about it?
1: Okay. The first thing I'm doing is right now is I'm carrying a little soapbox around with me standing up on it and saying, you know, listen, there's a problem. We thought it was okay, and it's not. Uh, here we are with the best will in the world, trying to be missionaries, and we've accidentally become the new colonialist. We can't seem to shake that British heritage of showing up and saying, good news, we're here to, to save you from your backward ways. Uh, so, I mean, this is the first thing. and it, It's unpleasant to hear someone saying stuff like this, but I, I promise that I was more guilty of what I'm talking about than most people. The other thing, maybe the more hands-on, the more practical thing that we're doing is I am part of a new French school opening up in Quebec uh, that the first campus has been open for a few years now, and we're expanding it because we see these different needs, uh, like short-term mission trips that can't... they don't really have anything available to them to go on a foreign mission trip where someone speaks another language and use foreign language skills. And there's other contexts that people need foreign language in that currently we either haven't found where you can go do that, and especially not under one roof, which is what we want to offer. So yes, this is a problem. Please recognize it. But also we have we are working on and soon we'll have a way for you to do something about it other than sitting there feeling bad about yourself.
0: So so it's it's you're launching it or it's soon to be launched. Um and, and so give me give me the setting, like how would it work if somebody wants to uh Engage. So let's just say that I hear you and I'll use your, your, your term. So you're up in your soapbox. I'm like, Oh, that's a real problem. Um, I, I, I I've heard John, I get it. Um, what do I do about it? There's a school in Quebec I can go to. Well, how's that work? What, what happens next? Sure.
1: You, you get in touch with us. And one of the first things we're going to ask is, well, what do you want to do? Because hmm. all of our campuses do something different. We have four campuses in Quebec spread out. And each of them is to address one of these different needs I was hinting at earlier. So let's say you, Todd Halls, you approach me and you say, next year, me and a small church group are going to Burkina Faso or uh, Timor-Est Vanuatu in Oceania. uh, Maybe you'll be lucky enough to get called to somewhere in Polynesia like that for a mission trip. And you say, oh, I want to do more than just hand out T-shirts from whoever lost the Super Bowl. And so we would say, all right, you need to go to our Three Rivers campus. And what we would do there, for example, is in the morning... You're going to do an intensive French class with us, oral only. You're not allowed to write in those classes, which is intimidating, but it's not as bad as it sounds, and it quickly starts to feel very natural, uh, even though it feels like work. And then in the evening, you and your team of whoever else came with you, you're going to go to, let's say, this little lady's house, because she called the church a few days ago, and she said, I'm sick. Can someone mow my lawn. Can someone wash my windows? We, we're not really picky uh, about what you ask us to do, as long as it's not illegal. Uh, can you paint my cat? We don't care. And we've been prepping you, not just with French that morning, but we've been prepping you with exactly the French that you're going to use that afternoon and evening. And the goal for that isn't for it to be perfect. It's not even for it to be terribly good. Uh, your French is supposed to be functional, but more importantly it's supposed to be relational. The idea is you show up and now that you have some of the basic tools, you can ask that ask this lady, what's the word for that? Obviously not in English. You point and you say what is it a little bit like a kid And she helps you put these thoughts together, these ideas together. Now she has the upper hand, I'll say. She's the one who gets to be more comfortable because we're doing things on her terms. We're doing things in her language. She gets to be in control of what happens. And all of a sudden, a big part of that guard is suddenly dropped because not only is it in my language, but they can't show up and tell me what to do because they can't even show up and tell me what the word for squeegee is. So, uh, so they feel a lot safer, and it makes them willing to start approaching, start talking about very sensitive topics like religion. That that's incredibly sensitive. What that health, marriage and divorce, relational problems. Those aren't the things that you're just like, oh, time to jump into a new language and talk about. Uh, Sorry, I got I keep getting off on tangents. Um, I do apologize because you can. You can hear that there's so there's so much underlying um there's so many underlying problems that our school wants to address. So that's program one. And I, I do think my little tangent is critical to understanding what the short term program does. You can be there, you can be there with us for as short as a week if you want. You could be there for two months. That that's fine. You you tell us what to do, and we're gonna have classes and we're gonna have something for you to do with what you've learned immediately. Or, you know, going a different direction, you get a hold of us and you say, I, I think I am supposed to be a pastor. I think I am supposed to be a member of clergy in some way. And I want to study theological. I want to study academic French so I can enroll in a French speaking seminary or So even if I'm in English seminary, I can start heading in the direction of having not just French skills in general, but those specific French skills. So we have a program for that. It's in the campus where I'll be working. I'll be heading this particular program, and it's for seminary integration. Uh, That's a natural move for me because I used to work at the University of West Florida for university integration just for English speakers. And the idea there is, of course, you're going to stay there with us. We we don't want to do the Phoenix Online type thing, especially because language, it really is a skill. It's not just knowledge. Uh, It'd be a bit like trying Mm -hmm. to only do gym exercises online. You can do it, but it's not great. So the idea is you, you show up to our campus in the, the greater Three Rivers area, and you, you're you with us on site. You're learning how do I read and write and especially talk about and hear and understand these theological concepts that are very academic. And they're also very different from what any other program would be. There, each program is very different from the others. So the things you need to integrate into a seminary are not at all the the skills and the vocabulary you need for the short term program, and they're not at all the skills that you need for other campuses. So, moving a little bit south of the Three Rivers campus, uh, listeners can pull up Google Maps and go from Three Rivers down to Victoriaville. That's where we have our long term campus. So, this is where you would see people who fit into more of the classic missionary mold Uh, he's going to this country overseas and he's going to just move there he's going to be an evangelist a church planner something in that vein and so victoriaville is there to give you the proficiency in living your day-to-day life it's the longest of our programs it's a little over a year and you learn okay how do i Go get groceries. How do I meet people? How do I just wake up in the morning and start living in the language of my host community with, of course, adding on, this is the language I need for my job, for my profession, which is a missionary. So instead of going to a long-term language school like a lot of government employees would, it's... You know, you need these skills, so you can see this recurring theme. Is each program is because you have this need. Uh, we have a campus in the Montreal area, and it's for both people who are members of a, a French-speaking church, and their, their French is pretty good, but they need they they need a little bit of refinement. They need to fix some mistakes that can't really, don't seem to be going away, and they're hindering um, their their communication in the church. And we also have English-speaking university students or people on short-term visas in the Montreal area, and because they either don't speak French since they're at an English university holed up in their really rich ghetto, or they don't speak Church French, which again is different from going to the grocery store French. So they can't make those connections. They can't make those friends. And instead of staying in Quebec, we would kind of like them to stay in Quebec, they go back home. And if you don't make friends somewhere, why wouldn't you go back home? We don't blame them. And with Montreal, we want to give them the tools and the opportunity to say, okay, now I can understand the sermon. Now I can go to a Bible study. Now I can, even if it sounds silly, now I can mill around in the lobby before and after service, Mm. and I can finally make those friends. And it's not going to be pretty, it's not going to be clean, but it's going to be doable. Our last campus is, as you're scrolling to the west on your Google Maps or your Waze app, is between Montreal and Ottawa. It's a a town called St. Jerome. And... It was where our Victoriaville campus is that then moved, but it's still one of our campuses, uh, especially because our school's director lives there. He's not going to let that drop. Hmm. And it currently is, I'll say, the home base for our decentralized program. And this is a really important program that we're working on putting together because, let's say, the, the Halls family Moves up to Quebec to be missionaries in Quebec. And you can't stay in Victoriaville. Maybe your wife or you have to work part time. Maybe you have to go right away to a church that's short staffed, but you still need French, obviously. So the idea is we want you to be able to get to any one of our campuses, South Shore of Montreal, St. Jerome, Victoriaville, uh, north of Three Rivers, and have access to that in-person training uh, we also want you even if you can't be there in person to have an instructor who you can call and talk to or you you might be able to or we might ask you rather to do a weekend or a five-day intensive at your nearest campus but you can still go back home to, I say home you can still go back to where you're working uh, we're we're following you the whole way. We're evaluating you. Are you making progress? Where are you and aren't you making progress? You know, what do we need to work on? Where, How, how can we get these parts of you, uh, these parts of your language proficiency, uh, most push for yeah. it. And so St. Jerome is very important because if you live in the ottawa Gatineau area or if you live on the north shore of Montreal, on the north of the St. Lawrence, asking someone to get to the South shore of Montreal, asking them to get to Victoriaville is really hard. It doesn't look that far as the crow flies, but especially in winter with like every big city, there's always construction going on on some interstate and it's, you know, it's just a pain. So St. Jerome is really important in that it makes this decentralized program accessible. And things being accessible to missionaries, to Christians, to us is very important. And that's, you can tell that's a lot of the reasons we have campuses everywhere, that every campus does something different from the others, so that you can make the language accessible to your needs. You know, I don't, maybe I don't need to, learn this super deep theological French. I just need to go to church. Okay, great. We have a campus for that. And, you know, and you get the idea on and on it goes. So that's, yeah, that's our answer to, you know, yes, here's the problem, but please don't just sit there and feel bad here is, here's what we're offering to, to help move past, uh, the, the weeping and wailing and sackcloth and ashes kind of
0: phase. Yeah. Um, so as you have, um, as you've progressed along this, what, what have been some of your, give me your top two or three challenges that you faced that you and Kimmy have faced. Uh, And, you know, yeah, just, I won't add anything else. Like what, what are some of the obstacles that you've had to overcome or, or are in the process of trying to overcome?
1: Oh, um. One of the obstacles is the waiting process. So even before Kimmy and I met back in uh, 2015 and got married in 2016, I knew I was supposed to be a missionary in Quebec. And the idea of language as a critical part of my mission work was starting to form. And just playing that waiting game, having to wait for so long, uh, going up to New Hampshire and getting my master's, then working for... My wife helping her rebuild the French program at a high school she was at. Again, that I didn't think I would be waiting. I just figured we would magically be up there, uh, and and still because of COVID, playing that waiting game even longer. The border has been open for what two and a half weeks now, as of today, something like that, roughly, maybe. Yeah. And even that's frustrating because you know we say. It. The border is open. That's a pretty generous way to put it. Uh, people being afraid of the what is the the newest COVID variant going to do? Could the border close again? Could, you know, being being here in Florida and just like oh why am I not there? Which <clears throat> me as a as an American, uh, a modern day American, you know, there's there's nothing worth worse in the world than waiting. I, I can't believe I have to wait on something. Uh, Chick Fil A never made me wait. Why? Why right. would the Lord? That that's you know, maybe one of the the frustrations that I feel on a day-to-day level. Uh, to be brutally honest, I won't go into details, but money is a huge frustration for this a lot of it for the same reason, because of COVID, that so many people who would like to support not just ours, but a lot of different charitable and religious organizations. Now I don't have the money to do it. And if you're listening to the podcast and you're one of those people, I am so sorry you're in that situation. And if I were a rich man, I'd pull you out of it. But uh, I promise I'm poorer than you are right now. Uh, so the, so I mean, just working on that, because until our organization has the capital, until we have people who want to be renewing donors, renewing, um, partners with us, you know. Here, here we are in Florida. Geez, obstacle number three. I'm not sure is it is an obstacle, but it's also something that I love talking about from my soapbox, and it is the problem of the the anglophone, the English speaking attitude towards foreign relations, uh, religious or secular. It doesn't matter that. You know, that you know this school is not really necessary. What's the real mission work that you're doing? Uh, what? How is this mission work? And then having to tell people or explain to people very nicely, very slowly, so that no one gets upset. Real mission work can't happen without addressing the language barrier. And so, so that one's both frustrating and exciting because I talk to people and they they usually have that initial wall up that, "Eh, no, it's not a problem, especially because I'm an English speaker and I've gone on some of these mission trips all the way to, yeah, and we can do something about it. Uh, So the last one's the least problem, the, the most exciting.
0: Sure. It's interesting. I hadn't thought of that angle of it. If you're talking to somebody that's been on mission trips, maybe multiple, maybe spent, you know, who knows how much time they've spent and And then suddenly they're faced with the reality of "Hey, that's great that you did that, but your your effectiveness maybe wasn't all that you thought it was gonna be um I can see where there'd be almost a, a perhaps a sense of resentment to to have you know to have to hear that from you john i I don't know if that ever happens or not but um but hopefully um uh, they stick with the conversation long enough to see that it's that there's there's a solution there's light ahead, and you guys are doing your best to offer it? I think so.
1: I haven't come across anyone yet who has been mad about it, thankfully. But definitely people mm-hmm. who, they have been uncomfortable, at least at the, the the beginning of the conversation, for the exact reasons that you talked about. It's like, but I've been on these mission trips. And that's where I get people offering anecdotal references to, okay, well, we evangelized someone by way of a translator. And that worked, or we, we visited a, a church that was planted by English speaking missionaries. And that was fine. And that, that resistance, but fortunately by the end of the conversation with that person, there is, there is a sense of, well, you know what, uh, let's sit down and think about it again. Uh, let's let's say what maybe we
0: should change our approach after all you know when you're on the daily basis when you're thinking about the waiting um when you're thinking about um the money when you think about these ta- these challenges you shared how do you stay like like how do you stay just fired up for this what do, what do you do to keep yourself at top of your game
1: i'm going to go ahead and say that i'm not always on the top of my game i'm not going to be pre- i'm not going to pretend to to be some, someone I'm not. I, I have to be really disciplined about my devotional time. I'm not good at spontaneity. I you know, I have to set aside X amount of time to pray just for the mission field and you know, even divide things up. I'm praying for the mission field, I'm praying for the people group I want to reach, I'm praying for things like finding. Uh, people who are interested in being recurring donors, people who are interested in being students with us in the future and praying over and over again specifically for that. And even when things don't feel like they're going well, just finding someone I can talk to and even express both those frustrations and those feelings of relief when I talk to someone who does get excited the way I am about this mission field.
0: Cool, well, cool, cool. Um, it's, and we talked about this with with a, a previous guest. Um, the power of that daily discipline to stay, uh, to stay engaged, to take time to pray, to to have your quiet time. Um, the compounding effects of that are just so tremendous. Don't you agree? Yes. I don't have a, don't have a longer, more profound
1: answer. Yes.
0: Perfect. So as we as as we look to wrap up, if you were to um, leave our audience with a either a final thought or maybe maybe you'd like to pose a question that you'd like us all just to be pondering and think about, what would that be?
1: The, The final thought and the question are definitely the same. And it's sit down and ask yourself. As as an American, as an English speaker, you're getting tired of me. Saying English speaker with a wagging my finger type of voice, how am I doing more harm than good unintentionally? Because I expect my my language, my culture, where I'm coming from to be the acceptable filter that everything passes through, whether or not I'm going on a mission trip or just talking. Someone I know who's not an anglophone like I am, and we've never thought about reaching
0: across that language barrier. Okay, and then um, for anybody that wants to uh, follow along with you, get in touch with you, support you, um, just learn more about what you're doing, where, where. Are you located social? Where's your social media links? If you just, uh, where can we find you and Kimmy and the school?
1: If I don't know if there's a text description that goes along with the podcast, when it goes out, I can certainly make sure you get all that. Our email is johnbarnard87 at gmail.com. So J O H N B A R nard 87, gmailcom That's let's you know, email me. Hopefully my spam filter won't catch you out. We have our we have our own web page with the denomination we're employed with. Uh, and it's missionqc.org slash en slash john hyphen barnard. And I know the I know that is a lot, but it's you know because we're a page inside our organization's website. We have other employees who have their own pages.
0: Yeah. MissionAccess.org slash EN slash John hyphen Barnard.
1: Oh no. Mission QC. So like the letters QC.
0: Oh, I had an autocorrect thing happen here.
1: Oh, uh, so uh, because the organization is mission Quebec.
0: S&QC, so you got it, yeah. org slash en slash john hyphen barnard.
1: Yeah, if you you can leave the cool. en out if you want, but the page will be in French.
0: Oh, all right. Good, good to know. I would definitely need the en because I haven't haven't been up there to visit you guys yet.
1: Yeah, we'll. Uh, you come up, you'll be one of our students, and we'll make it so that you don't need that en anymore.
0: Well, that will be awesome. John, I look forward to future conversations with you. I thank you so much uh, for your generous gift of your time. I also thank you so much for your heart, uh, for your heart to serve, to serve the Lord and for the work you guys are doing. Uh, I I am grateful Uh, to our listeners. I'm so grateful for you. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, I can't wait to, to, to talk with you next time. Until then. Whatever big dreams you have, whatever God's placed on your hearts, remember, you can. I believe in you. Until next time, peace to all. Well, thank you so much for listening. For even more on turning trials into triumphs and seeking and embracing success, go to toddhalls.life. That's toddhalls.life. And I look forward to serving you. Until next time, be strong, be bold. Be humble, stay healthy, stay hopeful. Peace to you.